Chapter 37 Upon completing her chores, Jennifer ascended the stairs with her nicotine patches. The sun had set and the bedroom was near pitch black despite the attempt of a full moon to penetrate her surroundings. The old heavy blankets were working perfectly. She studied the directions and then applied the nicotine patch to her upper arm and climbed into bed with two down pillows to prop her head against the headboard. She reviewed her list of questions, studying each until they were burned into her memory. Her eyes grew heavy as her focus blurred. She studied her tablet of questions and then the interior of her eyelids intermittently, and then nothing. Desiderios was a five-star restaurant known for its resplendent atmosphere to romance the soul and its impeccable cuisine to romance the palate. It was an enchanted place where any man, with the wherewithal, could wisp the woman of his dreams off her feet at the sacrifice of nearly half a week's pay. Desiderios was located a mere 15 miles from Honeybrook, but despite its proximity, Jennifer never had the pleasure of patronizing the establishment. Sean would say that he refused to spend the equivalent of two weeks of groceries on a single meal. She had dreamed of an opportunity to enter its pristine glass doors, and now her dreams had provided that chance. Jennifer stepped inside as Nicholas held the door for her. The walls of the atrium were coated with a mixture of stucco and beige paint, adding texture and dispersal of the reflecting light. A chair rail of solid oak ran along each wall. The ceiling was spray-coated with stucco and trimmed with crown molding, with recessed floodlights providing the illumination. The floor was covered with terracotta red clay tiles from the subtle blend of color. Wrought iron benches with cushioned seats lined both the east and west walls. The front of the atrium offered three directions. Facing the doorway was an entrance to the bar area, which contained several round tables, each with four wooden chairs. Matching hallways extended out to the left and the right at 45-degree angles, with barrel-vaulted ceilings to add the perception of depth to the interior. Each wall that divided the hallway from the bar was adorned with a 12-pane glass window that was framed with rich oak. The maitre d' was standing to the right of the bar entrance, greeting them as they approached. He requested the name of the reservation, and Jennifer stated her name before he led them through the hallway into one of the dining rooms. Wow, this place is beautiful. I love the atmosphere. Jennifer exclaimed as she glanced about the decor. Beneath the bustle of the restaurant chores, the sounds of Rachmaninoff and Vivaldi filled the air. The dining room bore a gray marbled carpet with a rough-cut stained joints in the ceiling above. Curved bars strung with candescent lights hung from each joist. Plants were both hung and placed about the room, adding an organic touch of color. The maitre d' led them to their table and seated Jennifer. The front waiter then approached to light the candle at the table center and offered them water. Jennifer turned to speak to Nicholas just as the captain arrived at their table. Jennifer paused as he inquired of their choice of cocktails and presented the wine list. Nicholas broke etiquette by allowing Jennifer to select the wine. She ordered a bottle of their best Chardonnay, and then, at last, she was alone with Nicholas. I could get used to this, Jennifer said with a sigh of satisfaction. I've wanted to eat here ever since this place opened. Why is it that you never came here before? Nicholas asked. Sean was not much for fancy places, she leaned forward. He thought this place was too expensive. When I was a little girl, my parents would take me to dine at places like this. I'd always feel like a princess. Having people wait on me, everything was so proper and controlled. My mother was a little obsessive over my etiquette and manners. That added a twinge of stress to the outings, but they were still magical times for me. Your mother was a troubled woman, Nicholas interjected. There were extenuating circumstances to her behavior. Dad never really discussed the cause of Mom's condition with me, Jennifer retorted. I do know that we suffered as a result of it, but Dad loved her no matter what. 
She paused for a moment in reflection and then dispelled the thought. I don't want to talk to you about my past. Today's what's important. The moment here with you, that's all that matters to me. This is like a dream come true. Jennifer suddenly straightened herself as though she were struck by some amazing discovery of the utmost importance. Do you know if I'm dreaming now? Nicholas chuckled at her impish stare. (laughs) What do you think? I am, but I'm not waking up. Maybe you don't wish to. I don't want to wake up, she proclaimed with excitement. You've been in my dreams before. You keep giving me things. I don't even know who you are, how you got here. How'd you manage to make things appear from our dreams? One question at a time. Well, 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 Jennifer was nearly stammering. If you exist in my dreams, did I create you? No. There's only one creator. The same entity who created you. It's he who created me. I have, he paused, and do exist. Then what are you? She blurted out with a childish charm of discovery. No offense, I I guess that sounded bad. I understand. This must be very confusing for you. My name is Nicholas Alfonso Ferragamo. I was born in Sicily on April 12, 1928. Jennifer chewed on the inside of her lip as his statement settled in her mind. 1928? That would make you... She attempted the calculation, but her mind had frozen. Old! Jennifer. He reached across the table and placed his hand gently on hers. I died on August 24th, 1953. The air surrounding her carried a chill, causing the fine hairs to rise within the pumps forming on her skin. She shuddered. Her mouth dried until she could no longer swallow. Talking to a dead dead guy? She struggled to accept what she had heard. She allowed her eyes to drift away from him before flashing back unexpectedly. Ah, and I kissed you? Nicholas smiled. It's not exactly like that. Are you an angel? There's only one angel in this room, and that's you. However, I am a spirit. So Sylvia Brown was right? Who's Sylvia Brown? Never mind. Did I somehow pull you into my dreams? No. I came in on my own accord. I was drawn in by your essence. That is where your true beauty lies. What you see in a mirror is superficial. A shell projected by your persona. Beautiful, nonetheless, but no match for the elegance of your essence or spirit. So spirits can visit you in your dreams? She rested her elbows on the table and propped her chin on the interlocking fingers. Is that so hard to believe? The Bible states that when the angel told Joseph that the baby in Mary's womb was conceived of the Holy Ghost, the angelic visit was in Joseph's dream. In the Bible alone, there are countless other examples. When I was a boy, this is after my mother and father died, I had a dream in which my mother visited me. We were by a brook. The water was running pure and clean. It was a serene setting. It was bright, sunny, warm day in the hills of Italy. She asked me to promise her that I would always treat people with the love and respect and grow up to be the best man that I could possibly be. Before she left, she brushed the back of her hand softly against my cheek. Her skin felt like silk. I could feel her touch so vividly, even though I knew she had died. I was not sad. Being with her in that dream was so real to me. I couldn't be sad because I knew she was right there with me. I felt her essence and the strength of her love. 
I never realized that the visit was real until... Can you visit me in the real world? When spirits visit you in the natural world, the, uh, the world you call real, they do not experience it the same way you do. We have no sensations in your world. We can't feel, taste, smell, not like we can in your dreams. In the dreams I have with you, everything feels so real to me too, Jennifer commented. It is real. Reality, it's like an old man that's growing on a wart. Reality is simply a matter of perspectives. That glass seems real to you, so to you it is real. And because it's real to you, it's real to me. And that's why I hope you keep dreaming. I stopped taking the sleeping pills that the doctor gave me. I began sleeping so soundly I wasn't dreaming. Or at least I couldn't remember the dreams I had. My doctor sending me to a psychologist. You believe that? You should go. Why? It may help you to talk to him about your sadness. You should also get your medication refilled. But, but I don't need the sleeping pills to interfere with our dreams. Well, you never know. You may find that you need them again. If you say so. Their conversation was temporarily disrupted by the arrival of their wine. Following the tasting, the maitre d' poured the wine and then offered the menu and explained their specialties and his recommendations. Nicholas had the bolognese tortellini and white creamy truffle sauce, while Jennifer ordered sautéed chicken breast stuffed with spinach, sauté of rapini, and baby lentils. Jennifer also ordered the fried calamari for her and Nicholas to share. The maitre d' departed with the order, and once again, they were alone. You won't save me from a nightmare, Jennifer continued. That's why you were always so familiar to me. True, but I was in your dreams long before that, just in small ways. So why then do spirits visit people in their dreams? As I said, we have no sensation in your world. However, when you're in the altered state of consciousness while dreaming, we can experience what you do via the electrical impulses in the neurons of your brain. Thus, the more vivid your dreams are to you, the more inviting they are to me. Jennifer weighed the statement. You mean you're literally inside my head right now? She said with a slight tone of repulsion. Yes. And because of your dream state of consciousness, we pose no threat to each other. Slowly, her repulsive expression dissipated and a smile spread across her face. I got Nicholas on the brain. Nicholas laughed. I, I guess you could say that. What happens if you try to enter my mind while I'm awake? For you... What appears to psychologists as schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. For me, I would be trapped inside your mind as you assimilate my spirit into yours. Neither of us would ever be the same. We would each lose our sense of self. You mean like putting two spirits in a blender? Nicholas laughed until he experienced the coughing spell. He wiped tears of laughter from the corner of his eyes. <laughs> I love the way that you color things. This is why your dreams are so interesting and vivacious. Yeah, like, like putting two spirits in a blender. But humor was not the emotion that swelled in Jennifer. Fear began to rise in her, the risk of insanity. It was the fear of losing her sense of self. Insanity robbed a person of who they were. To Jennifer, it meant a life sentence of being a zombie of incoherence, forever tortured with bizarre thoughts and images, trapped in a never-ending nightmare and constantly exposed to ridicule. Nicholas cocked his head for a moment as though listening to some distant voice. I assure you, this is safe. 
As you're awakened, your consciousness and your rationale immediately begin to dismiss me and try to extricate me. Remaining inside your mind would be a terrible struggle for me, and as I said, it would endanger me also. I enjoy the sensation of your world, but I enjoy being free of its pain. I have no desire to return to it. His words helped to reassure her, but she remained disquieted by the premise. How is it that I've never been here before, yet I I know exactly what it looks like? Or I guess maybe I don't. Perhaps the real Desiderios looks nothing like this. Oh, this, this is how the restaurant truly looks. But how's that possible? This dream is on me. I brought you here. I thank you for that. She paused. Okay, tell me something that no one else knows. Something about life or about God, Jennifer said persuasively. All right. Do you remember when I said there was only one creator? Yes. Well, I meant creation in more than one physical sense. He's responsible for creativity as well. Music, books, and paintings have always existed since the creation of heaven and earth. Artists only channel their artwork into existence in your world. The artist is not chosen for his or her talents or creativity, but instead they're chosen for their understanding of what is trying to come through and their ability to channel it without disturbing it. You mean Edgar Allan Poe did not write all those stories? Not in the sense that you're accustomed to. He, he channeled them as only he could. That's amazing, Jennifer stated in astonishment. I remember in college, I was taking some courses in psychology. The professor was a big fan of Aldous Huxley's work, so I read The Doors of Perception. You know, I was trying to get in with that professor to earn extra consideration when it was grading time. Unfortunately, I died before that piece was published, Nicholas interjected. Anyway, Jennifer continued, I had the same idea while I was reading that book. Huxley wrote that when he was under the effects of the drug mescaline. He believed that he was viewing the world as an artist. He considered that artists perceived objects differently than he did. Colors were more vivid to them. They were more in awe of everyday objects than the rest of us are. I guess that his reference to a creator was where my own concept came from. I wondered about creation, and I wondered where human creativity fit into divinity. And my concept was exactly what you just explained to me. All the works of art were created by God. I was right. It's humbling, is it not? I would most certainly say so, Jennifer paused thoughtfully. What's heaven like? Jennifer, he shook an admonishing finger at her. I can't tell you everything. Actually, I've already told you too much. Eve ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge. So let us pretend that knowledge was the original sin. The quest for knowledge is what drives life. All life is based on motion, motion of objects, motion of the celestial bodies, and even the motion of man's evolution. Absolute knowledge would lead humankind to lethargy. No motion, no life. You're not meant to know everything. You're a small pixel in a much larger picture. Existence is attempting to understand itself. Perhaps you'll get the answers that you're seeking when you finish your circle. What circle? The one that leads you back to the beginning, to infancy, where we know everything but we can communicate nothing. Or perhaps there are no absolute truths, he stated coyly. Perhaps heaven is simply a private version of a paradise for each of us, with each heaven being different, but all in the presence of God. Like I said, I've already told you too much. Then answer this question. 
Why did my son have to die? The sudden blunt force of the question startled Nicholas, but he recovered quickly. You're focusing on the wrong side of the issue, Jennifer. There was no significance to Arlen's death, only to his life. Okay. So why me? Why do you keep coming back to me? The night must hold stronger dreamers than me. First I came to you, because I knew that you were in pain and that you needed me. I was here to help you during this difficult time, but now I must confess that I've fallen in love with you. Can you bring Arlen to me? I wish that I could, but I can't, Nicholas responded, although he seemed agitated that she failed to react to his confession of love. He would have to visit you voluntarily. At this point, he may not understand how to find you. Could, could you at least find him and let me know if he's okay? Tell him I miss him? I promise that I'll try. Jennifer lowered her head. The yearning for her son was overpowering her sense of curiosity. Nicholas reached across the table and took her hand in his. He pulled her hand toward his body and held it to his chest. He stared into her eyes with loving concern as he slid her hand up slowly to his mouth and kissed it softly. Jennifer granted him a reassuring smile with a barely discernible quiver of her lips. Are you okay? Nicholas asked her. Yes, of course. Please forgive me. She dabbed a tear from the corner of her eye. Look at me. You bring me to this wonderful place and I get all melancholy. Don't punish yourself. I understand perfectly. Nicholas, do you mind if I ask you one more question? Of course you can. Go right ahead. How did you die? That is a long story. One that will make me melancholy, as you could quite imagine. He cast a coy grin. I don't want to talk about my past. I want to know more about you now. I've answered a lot of your questions. Now you can answer mine. Jennifer agreed with a nod. She glanced over her shoulder and saw their waiter pushing through the kitchen doors of the large serving tray. Oh, I hope this is for us. I'm famished. The waiter approached. He announced each item as he placed it on the table. When he finished, he smiled a broad, peculiarly jovial smile. Enjoy, he said as he stared at Jennifer, and then he disappeared from their table. Nicholas's eyes twinkled with amusement. Did you see him? Jennifer leaned in towards Nicholas. I think he was a little odd. He was admiring you. No, he's just weird. I'm telling you. He was as captivated by your beauty as I. She gave Nicholas a quasi-curtsy nod. As they ate, their conversation lightened. Jennifer spoke of pleasant memories with her father and her prospects of the future. She explained to Nicholas what had transpired with Sean. He consoled her, reassuring her that her position on the matter was the correct one. If she and Sean could not trust one another, then the marriage should be dissolved. Jennifer awoke the next morning with her head throbbing in pain. She attempted to sit up, but the room seemed to spin lazily. Oh, God, she uttered as she lowered herself back under the mattress. She felt a wave of nausea swell and then eased slightly. The squid at the restaurant must have given me food poison, she thought, ignoring the fact that the restaurant visit had been experienced in her dream. She also failed to consider the side effects of a nicotine patch on a non-smoker.